0: the Vulture TV Podcast. I'm your host, Gazelle Amami. On this week's show, we're talking about season one of NBC's hit show, This Is Us. Plus, we're joined by Rupert Grint, former Harry Potter star and current star of Crackle's latest series, Snatch. And here with Vulture TV columnist, Jen Cheney. Hey, Jen. Hey, how's it going, Gazelle? Pretty good. Matt can't be here with us today, so it's going to be a Jen and Gazelle special. It's an all ladies edition. All ladies. Of the Filter TV Hope podcast. Hope you're ready. <laughs> we we thought we would start with a somewhat this is us themed prompt. Um, we've done we've done a prompt on flash forwards before, but this week's prompt is what is your favorite TV flashback?
1: Right, cuz this is us is big on the flashbacks. Yes, and and was especially in its finale. Exactly. So Jen, why don't you take it away? All right, well, uh, obviously I have to mention Lost since it was such a pioneer in its use of flashback. And one of the favorites that really stands out is Walkabout, which was the fourth episode of the very first season. And that's the episode where you realize via the flashbacks that John Locke you know, he was in a wheelchair one time oh, yeah. uh, and, and that was a big, like, whoa, revelation. I think the first really big whoa revelation um, in Lost and it sort of gave you a sense of like how powerful those flashbacks could be. Those flashbacks were also, you know, where he um, pioneered his catchphrase. Don't tell me what I can't do, which I like to repeat often.
2: <laughs> Look, I've been preparing for this for years. Just put me on the bus right now. I can do this. No, you can't. Hey, hey, don't you walk away from me. You don't know who you're dealing with. Don't ever tell me what I can't do, ever. This is destiny.
0: Yeah, there's and really no show that does flashbacks better in terms of character development than Lost. Because it's yeah. so integrated into what the, sh- the fabric of the show.
1: I mean, other shows have done flashbacks before. But to your point, like I don't know if very many had integrated it so right out of the gate in the way that Lost did. I have a feeling I know what you're going to say. What? But I'm very curious. Just do you want to say, do you want, do you want to say what you think I'm going to say? Sure. Cause okay. this one popped into my head immediately too, is the friend's prom episode. Oh, wow. That is a great one. It is, <laughs> <Okay>. see, <laughs> I thought w- for sure that's what you would say.
0: I, well, so with these prompts, I tend to do what kind of pops into my head first a little bit. Yeah. So I don't end up kind of going through my head and like thinking too much about the ones. So it might not actually be my favorite one. But Mm -hmm. it's it's one that just comes to mind most uh, easily. But the friend prom one is like definitely up there for me. The one that I remembered is a more recent one. And I think it might actually be my favorite flashback just because of how emotional it was for me. And it's the parents episode of Master of None. And Mm -hmm. this is the one where Dev is complaining to his dad about something ridiculous. And then the camera pans over to his dad and it wanders off into his head and you, where you see him growing up as a kid in India, where his life was so much harder and how much it took for him to come to America to give his kids this better life.
2: And uh, over here are the examination rooms. So that's the basic go around of the facility. Do you understand everything?
3: Yeah. So, someone said when the new doctor comes to town, you usually take the family to the steakhouse? Is that tonight? Should I get my wife?
2: Uh, no, there is no dinner. You can just go to the cafeteria and eat.
0: do it later i'm gonna see this x-men movie and i don't want to miss the trailers i gotta go i'm not your personal computer guy okay and and i guess just no tv flashback had hit me that hard because i made me think of my own parents and i just was the first time i'd seen the immigrant experience kind of represented on a major tv show and i love how they did it as a flashback because it it kind of like immigrants in america have this kind of other life that they're living and like that is kind of feels like a secret. And the flashback was this just amazing way, this amazing tool to broadcast this secret because it still feels kind of private and personal because it's all happening in his head. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and it also just communicates so much about what his dad is feeling without having to say a word that like he never could have imagined that he would have come to America to give his kid a better life and it would yield such a spoiled creature. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just, I felt like that was. Yeah, that that was just one that really stuck with me. And then the other one I thought of is actually one that just aired on Sunday night on Girls, which mm. isn't, I don't know if it quite qualifies as a traditional flashback, but it is, if you've been watching Girls, you know that Adam is currently filming a movie where him and Hannah, it kind of tells his story between him and Hannah. Uh, A movie
1: that he wrote and cast and assembled a crew for extremely quickly. Yeah. And it's, I mean, (laughs) I kind of respect
0: how bad they made it look like it kind of feels very true to that type of film, which is just Mm -hmm. low budget. (laughs) Um, But he, in a, in a brief moment, kind of, I think it comes after the credits in Sunday night's episode, you see, uh, you see a scene from his film where you find out how Hannah and Adam first met. So it is kind of this flashback to Hannah, a young Hannah and Adam. And I I just completely, I just wasn't expecting to ever, I, I didn't even know I wanted that. And there was something so sweet about their first meeting that didn't feel Hannah and Adam at all that I really liked, where you kind of see them kind of... Um, notice each other in this way that just I don't know it like surprised and delighted me I guess and yeah that's mm-hmm. that's my
1: second that's my second recent fave yeah and I like this idea of of the quote-unquote meat cutes being something that we don't even see or think about until much much later and in fact in this is us which we're about to talk about there there's a similar thing mm-hmm. going on in the finale um I wonder if, how many delayed meat cutes have we had on tv is that a thing <laughs> I don't know. That that maybe maybe it's a trend. We just trend need one piece. more. We
0: need one more. <laughs> <laughs> um Ooh, I like your Aziz mug, Jen. I just Thank got you, it says it. treat yourself. Everyone. <laughs> you hear that?
3: Three words for you. Treat yourself.
0: Treat yourself two thousand eleven. Once a year, Donna and I spend a day treating ourselves. What do we treat ourselves to? Clothes.
3: Treat yourself. Fragrances. Treat yourself. Massages. Treat yourself. Mimosas. Treat yourself. Fine leather goods. Treat yourself. It's the best day of the year.
0: The
1: best day of the
0: year. Treat yourself. Tom
1: Haverford mug. It's the only way to drink your coffee. That is this
0: week's prompt. Listeners, if you would like to weigh in or suggest a future prompt, please email us at vulture.com. Next up, we're talking This Is Us. We'll be right back. This Is Us aired its season one finale last week, and we realized we haven't discussed it on the podcast yet, and it was about time we did. If you've been living under a rock, This Is Us is an NBC ensemble family drama that was pretty immediately a huge hit with America when it premiered in the fall. It stars Mandy Moore and Milo Ventimiglia as the parents to three children who we see as kids and then all grown up as Sterling K. Brown, Chrissy Metz and Justin Hartley. If you haven't watched the show, be warned. As always, there will be spoilers ahead. So, Jen, I thought, you know, we could start backwards since this is a show that hops around so much and just talk about the finale a little bit. What did you think about this finale? Were you surprised? Were you expecting them to take on Jack's death or, you know, take a different approach? Just initial thoughts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they really and this is less about what's happening in the show than it is the way the show is being promoted, I think the teasers and the commercials for the finale very much led you to believe you were finally going to see how Jack died, Mm -hmm. which is something that, you know, we learned a few episodes in that the family patriarch does die, but we didn't know how. Uh, We also learned that Kate feels responsible in some way for his death, but we don't know the circumstances around it. And it very much led us to believe That He started drinking again. He gets in the car to go drive to see his wife, Rebecca, played by Mandy Moore, performing and most likely gets killed in a drunk driving accident. But, you know, that's not at all what happened. And in fact, it wasn't about his death at all. It was about how the two of them met and sort of cutting between that and the difficulties that they're having. A couple of decades later, or actually, yeah, I guess it's a couple of decades later, right? Um, yeah, it's.
0: I, I noticed they have a Buffy the Vampire Slayer poster in their house.
1: Yeah, so it's definitely it to, the 90s. It
0: has to be at least like 97 or something. But
1: I, I'm not sure what year it was when they met. I feel like it would have mm-hmm. been the 70s. Right. Based on when the kids were born. But in any event, I, I thought it was a really lovely episode. If you if you weren't coming into it expecting the death and then thinking, "Oh man, they didn't even do that." And I have a feeling some people were and right. were disappointed for that reason. But I liked this episode for the same reason that I liked Memphis, which was the episode where Randall and his birth father William just go on a road trip and it's it's also the episode where where William dies at the end. Very emotional episode. Mm-hmm. But I feel like a lot of the time, this is us, is it's it's trying to tell an ensemble story. And by necessity, that means it has to jump around and show you what each of the characters is up to. And I have liked it more when it strips itself down and just really focuses on one thing. And I felt like Memphis did that. It was really like telling the arc of William's life in miniature. And I thought the finale did that by telling, really focusing back in on, on um, Jack and Rebecca again at the end. So So I did like it. I do have some issues with this show which I'm sure we'll talk about but but I thought it was a well done finale. I felt the same. I really it
0: gives it it's you know it's not a bottle episode but it has that kind of feel to it because you're kind of immersed in just these characters stories. I found it almost a little odd when it took us out of that and showed us uh where which felt like clear setup for next season where you see Randall telling his wife he wants to adopt a baby and and then there were certain scenes that I was a little bored by like the poker scenes and kind of this whole drama with jack like potentially robbing this bar right and it just felt a little like for forced in this way where they were trying to make a point about him choosing to be better because of rebecca um and yeah. but the scenes that were good were so good i thought where it really lets you live in the moment like the fights i've i've I think this is the second major blowout Jack and Rebecca have had on the show and both times they're both really amazing in these scenes and it Mandy Moore in particular. And I feel like they're touching on something very real mm-hmm. Um, where you feel them getting beneath the surface, which, you know, Jen, you and I have talked about this show often kind of keeps it at the surface a bit.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, even the way that scene was shot, they, I, I have to go back and see again if there were any cuts, but it yeah. it certainly seemed like it was one continuous cut or very close to one continuous cut. And that gave it more of a sense of realism, too. Yes. You kind of
0: see them walking from room to room throughout the house. And uh, it has this kind of naturalism to it that it that that felt really um, immersive to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then, it, you know, it kind of intersperses this all with the flashbacks to the first time Jack and Rebecca met, which. You know, I was curious. I wanted to see how they met. But they kind of, you know, the fight feels kind of less heavy because they're alternating it with one of the most sentimental moments you could possibly use to counteract a major fight, which is like this beautiful story of how they met. So mm-hmm. you feel you feel like I, I doesn't, it doesn't it doesn't it lets you live in the moment of the fight, but it also takes you out of it. Where you don't have to kind of sit there too long before you get to have this nice narrative where they're, they're falling in love. They're about to meet each other and fall in love. Right. And then, and then they don't actually let the fight. I, I was kind of expecting this episode to end on a cliffhanger where, where Jack moves out and you're waiting till next season to see, you know, what will happen with their relationship. But And, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, but it also at the end, by the end of it, Jack has given Rebecca this grand speech about why he loves her. And Mm -hmm. it kind of feels like everything, like, will work out. But I guess the question then becomes, when is he going to die and is he going to die before they're able to fully reconcile? Who knows? But, you know, this this all brings up a topic I think you wrote about so well in an essay last week, Jen, About why the show is so much more popular than Friday Night Lights and Parenthood, which are also two fairly sentimental NBC dramas. I was wondering if you could just talk us through that argument a little bit.
1: Sure. I mean, this is something that I've been trying to figure out throughout the season because This Is Us has been such an immediate hit, as you said before, and its audience just seems to keep getting bigger. And I think about Friday Night Lights and Parenthood because both of them were on NBC, and I would say both of them are sort of in the same quadrant in terms of the kind of audience they were going after and in terms of the kind of storytelling in general. And yet they had to fight every season to like stay on the air. And mm-hmm. you you felt like you were constantly being evangelist for those two shows. And so I was trying to figure out, well, why, why is this hitting so quickly when the others had such a hard time? And I think it's still early in This Is Us and I do like the show, but I think at least at this point, I would say Friday Night Lights and Parenthood were both better shows mm-hmm. than This Is Us is. And, you know, I read this piece that Hank Stuver, who's the TV critic for The Washington Post, where I used to work, and he's a really great, great writer, great critic. And he was talking about how this show gives you the cathartic cry. It's like a little sad, but it's not too sad. And I started thinking about that. And I also just started thinking about, well, what is the worldview that This Is Us presents? And that to me is what distinguishes it from Friday Night Lights and from Parenthood and maybe makes it more palatable to people. And that is this idea that everything happens for a reason and that everything is meant to be and it will all work out somehow. You know, that's what we tell ourselves, what we tell other people in times of crisis. And it's just a way of spinning things. And I think from the very beginning of the show, in the very first episode, it's predicated on this idea that, you know, Jack and Rebecca, they're expecting triplets. They lose the third baby uh, in childbirth but then this other baby just miraculously happens to be left at the hospital um who has been given up by his father and he grows up of course to be Randall and so they immediately have this third baby to replace the one that they lost and it's so it's again it's it's giving you this idea like there is a grand plan mm-hmm. um whether it's god's plan or just a plan in general there's a grand plan and things all kind of work together uh and even the way they kind of constantly pull information out of their sleeves uh by surprise gives you the idea that there is a grand master behind that that knows how the big picture fits together, even though we don't. And I think that is different to me than what Friday Night Lights especially was doing. I mean, by contrast, the pilot of that show was one of the best pilots ever. It's it's, it's an amazing pilot. I was watching the end of it when I was writing that piece and just like crying my (laughs) eyes out again for like the 80th time. But, you know, Jason Street, who's the star quarterback, seemingly has everything going for him, is in this terrible gets this terrible hit in a game. And as we know from watching the episodes that come after, he's paralyzed. His life is completely changed. And that night at the hospital, you know, it's not like he has a minor injury and somebody shows up, hey, I've got a leg I'll give you. You know, that doesn't happen in Friday right. of my life. You know, the, that show is about bad things happen and there's no good reason for it. And we have to be there for each other and persevere. And like he does get his life
0: on track, but it, it takes a while and you really see that process. And yeah. he gets really frustrated and it doesn't it doesn't give you an this is us kind of almost very when it does let you live in a a real moment, it kind of quickly quickly makes it okay. Like they right. don't let you stay there too long.
1: Right. Right. And and Parenthood, I would say, which was also that show was overseen by Jason Kadams, who was the show run on Friday Night Lights. It was a gentler show than Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights could get very raw in a way that Parenthood didn't. And so I feel like Parenthood is a little more aligned with This Is Us. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But even in that show, like very early on, uh, Adam and Christina Braverman find out that their son Max has Asperger's uh, and that, you know, again, there's no there's no reason why it happens. It's just something that happens. And the family copes with that. And I think that was the most kind of consistent signature storyline on that show really informed by the fact that um, Jason Kadem's son has Asperger's. And so he really understood the issues that that raises for a family. Again, that was a show I think that really was comfort food in a lot of ways, but it didn't, it didn't soften that reality. It didn't a- offer this idea that, well, it was supposed to happen that way. It's like, no, it just happened. Deal with it. And I, I feel like I was always recommending Parenthood to people when that show was on the air. And oftentimes I would hear people say, well, that show's too sad for me. And I'm like, it's not that sad. I mean, I cry a lot when I watch it, but it's not like sad. (laughs) And and I think it was because of that. And and I think that's what distinguishes This Is Us, is that it it starts from this premise of somebody's guiding you and somebody's looking out for you. And so I think what they've been able to do is capture the same people who would have watched Friday Night Lights and Parenthood, but then this whole other group of people that were maybe afraid that Friday Night Lights and, and This Is Us's world, I mean, pardon me, Parenthood's worldview was too real they can buy into This as Us too. And so it's just immediately expanded the number of people who are willing to like tune into it every right. week.
2: Right,
0: which,
1: you know, as you noted in your piece, this kind of says something about us
0: and mm-hmm. what we desire. It's kind of not necessarily in art, but in our own lives, this feeling that everything will be okay is kind of such a deep desire. Um, right. And, you know, even in the finale, again like with with Jack and Rebecca's fight they the, it seems like by the end of the episode i i felt like it was almost going to go there where you know Rebecca walks downstairs and she's like we said these things and we meant them and i thought that you know that felt like so true that moment after a fight where you know you've said things you can't take back but mm-hmm. it didn't like it didn't let it sit there too long. Jack gives like this amazing speech about how much he loves her by the end. And you're kind of, you're kind of left with a comfortable feeling that, you know, no matter what they said, the love will get them through this. Um, Right. And, you know, even in like little details, like Randall wanting to adopt a baby, it kind of brings it back. It adds this like full circle nature to everything where it feels like the, Adoption is meant to be in a way just as it was for Jack and Rebecca when they lost their third child and they miraculously were able to adopt this this other child to replace that child. Um, So, yeah, I think I think you're exactly right there, Jen. And I think it also goes back a little bit to something you wrote about earlier in the season, which is about the show's kind of progressivism and how that plays out and it does introduce these very progressive ideas but it doesn't quite let you
1: it introduces them but it doesn't really dig into them too deeply i mean the idea that jack and rebecca adopt a third child who is black and obviously they they talk about through different episodes that he feels obviously different from the rest of the family and and isolated in certain ways so they do touch on it but they never really make it get, for lack of a better way of putting it, as ugly and uncomfortable as I think it really would get in in real life. Um, I'm thinking specifically about the episode at the swimming pool where um, uh, young Randall is kind of hanging out with an African-American family and uh, Rebecca goes to get him. And there's sort of a uh, the African-American mom and Rebecca have this exchange, like kind of an unpleasant exchange. And I was like, oh, well, that. That felt real to me, but then, like within like maybe a couple scenes, they're they're kind of making up and they're and they're having a really good conversation. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Would that have happened that way? Maybe so, but like it, it like you said a, a few minutes ago, it's like it shows you something really real, but then it's like, but let's make it nice and soft again. Right. Let's not let's not be real for more than like a minute or two because that's not really the style or sensibility of the show.
0: Yeah, and it's really not. And like as much as you know, we're we're critiquing this in a way it's also it also completely makes sense for what this show is going for like i don't feel like it is has that intention of reaching kind of deep beneath the surface it it kind of feels like it's supposed to be a feel-good show in this way um right and Like, I I find myself so conflicted on this show because there are moments where I'm just so frustrated by it because of these reasons. But then there are moments where I find myself feeling like completely pulled in and completely, you know, mesmerized by what what is happening on screen. And I can't tell if it's like I think sometimes it's just those those moments that do feel very real. But then sometimes it does feel like those moments where they're you know that they want they're trying to get emotion out of you and it's a little bit manipulative in that way like i do feel myself falling for it if for lack of a better phrase and i don't know how i feel about that but but i do think there's a lot that i i still do like about the show and i think for me it comes down to sterling k brown's storyline and also, also mandy moore's because mm-hmm. i think i i think it kind of lives in those Real moments with their stories a little bit more than, say, Kevin, who is so defined by these kind of grand gestures and moments that feel like they're there for dramatic purposes or even even Kate. It feels like we're only kind of starting to dig beneath the surface with her. But with Mandy Moore in particular, like even though they kind of, you know, another another plot line they tied up really neatly was the one where Randall finds out that she's lied to him his entire life about the fact that she knew about his birth father, which is a horrible lie. And, yeah. you know, he, within a couple episodes, he he forgives her. And even though he does, I feel as, like, as an audience member, it has impacted my view of her. And her character has kind of changed to me. So I do feel like her character is thus more interesting to me because I know mm-hmm. her as this person who who did this thing that, you know, was obviously motivated by all of her own insecurities. And it, it definitely changed her character for me in a way that makes her more compelling to watch.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah. And they did eventually circle back to it again in the penultimate episode of the season. They have a, a deeper conversation about it, which suggests mm-hmm. that it suggests that Randall is it's still simmering, although we don't really see that so much. It's like they kind of drop it and then they bring it back again. I still think that he would be mad about that for like years
0: (laughs) yeah that's me i mean especially like he's so forgiving even in that penultimate scene where he's like i you know i got to know get to know him and you know but if you had just met your father a few months before he died of cancer and you found out that your mom had kept it from you for years i think you would be a little bit more upset it would be another thing if he'd had more time with him but just the fact that this is this situation in particular must, I, I would imagine, would make it particularly hard to to look at his mom in the same
1: way. You know, I think what I do like about the show, which you've alluded to, is the performances in it. I think mm-hmm. the cast is just excellent across the board. And when the material sometimes may be a little questionable or, or, or is uh, clearly being manipulative, like you said, I feel like the actors find a way to overcome it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other thing is just that even if it is a softer version of the Friday Night Lights or a Parenthood, I, I still like the fact that a relationship based drama with no gimmicks, no time travel, no procedurals, no cops, none of that stuff it has reached an audience like this on network TV. And I hope that means that there will be other shows in this vein, because I do think that there is value in shows like this.
0: Totally. Are there certain things you would like to see from this show in season two?
1: Yeah. I mean, they kind of alluded to this a little bit, you know, Jack has been kind of a deified figure throughout Mm -hmm. this season. You know, we know that he has issues with drinking that he's overcome, but we see that he's obviously capable of relapsing. Uh, And in that flashback to, you know, when they're he and Rebecca are first meeting, uh, we see that he's kind of desperate for money. And he's kind of having this, as you talked about before, conflict like should i just stop trying to be such a good guy and just randomly start stealing money out of cash registers to uh <laughs> to do what i need to do and he doesn't go that way because of rebecca but i what i think could be potentially interesting and would make me respect the the show a, a little bit more i think is if they take this idea that part of the reason they remember jack this way is because he died you know when a parent dies you d- you you do tend to mm-hmm. or anybody for that matter that was close to you you tend to kind of think of them in this really uh, wonderful light and and the darker things about them start to slip away a little bit. And so it'd be really interesting to me if we start to realize that part of the reason that he is such a hero uh, and that we've seen him that way is that that's the kid's perspective. And in fact, there's more to him that we don't know. So that would be, I think, a very interesting way for season two to go.
0: Yeah, I, I would love that. And yeah, you you do kind of get a hint of it in this finale, but I'm curious to to see how much longer they're actually going to spend living in in these kind of darker times for Jack before they kill him off. But, right. but we'll see. I would love to see more of Susan Kelechi Watson, who plays Randall's wife. Yes. Beth. And she was a pretty guarded character at first, but she's slowly been given a little bit more to do here and there. And I found her to be kind of the most relatable because of because her story isn't kind of defined by this larger narrative, like mm-hmm. she kind of feels like like the wild card. But yeah, I do I do feel like you know if she is made a more integral character, she might end up falling into the same structure that other the other characters do, uh, mm-hmm. where it feels like everything is happening in her life for a reason. <laughs> but right. but I I still I still think she's a great actress, and I would love to see what more she could do there. And then. Yeah. The other thing I would love, you know, the big question of this season has been, you know, how how does Jack die? You know, what happened to Jack? And that's kind of been on. That's kind of the plot point that, as you said, Jen, is used in promotional material a lot. And I'm not really that interested in that. I'm more interested in seeing how Rebecca got together with Miguel. And that's what Mm -hmm. I really want to see them delve into next season.
1: I'm interested in the death part of it solely because I want to understand why Kate feels responsible. Yes. That um, is interesting. Yeah. And I, I, as you kind of suggested before, like I, I want to see Kate be a character whose story is not defined solely by the fact that she's trying to lose weight. Um, right. Because I think it's wonderful that she's they've cast Chrissy, Chrissy Metz in this role. And I, I, I think that, you know, it's understandable that like, yeah, she's a character who wants to lose weight. And that would be something she's thinking about a lot. But there's far more to her than than just that. And they've started to do a better job of that on the sort of second half of the season. Um, But I hope that they kind of give her a chance to be a person that isn't just about going to Weight Watchers, but has other things going on that she's trying to deal with. For sure. I I hope the
0: same. And, you know, we we'll, we shall see. And we'll probably be talking a little bit more about this is us as we approach the Emmys later this year because it feels like this is a show that's going to be i mean not like people versus o j level, but it's such an ensemble cast with with a lot of great performances that it there's probably it's probably gonna be have have a presence in a number of major categories so And I think there will certainly be a push for that from NBC. Definitely. (laughs) They're going to milk this all they can. (laughs) Yeah. Coming up, I talk to the star of Crackle's Snatch, Rupert Grint. You most likely know Rupert Grint as Ronald Weasley, a role he played for more than a decade of his life. Currently, he's playing a role that couldn't be a better counterpoint to the young Weasley brother. A young hustler on Crackle's new series Snatch, a loose adaptation of the 2000 Guy Ritchie film. Rupert, could. thank you so much for joining me today.
3: It's pleasure a pleasure Thanks, to have
0: me. you. So, on Snatch, you play uh, Charlie Cavendish. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. Okay. Cavendish
3: Scott. Cavendish. It's a double barrel name. Ah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, he's one member of this group of 20 something hustlers who've kind of fallen into right. organized crime. And I was wondering if you could just start by telling us, you know, how would you describe this character and just how you see him?
3: Yeah. Um, yeah, it took me a while to really work out who he was. He's, mm-hmm. I've never met anyone quite like yeah. him. He's quite unusual. I think that's what kind of appealed to me about him. He was He's just this guy who just doesn't... He finds it hard to fit in, mm-hmm. in kind of both these worlds. He, he comes from a very kind of well-to-do aristocratic family that have kind of spent all their money. They live in this kind of abandoned a mansion. Mm-hmm. His parents have these strange, like, kind of sex parties and he, his dad grows weed in the, in the basement and they're very, he feels very detached from his family. Yet he still has this kind of pride of the family name and kind of keeps up that kind of appearance. Um, Yeah, so it was, it, it's really kind of about how these kind of young, this young group of hustlers kind of form this family. I think because all the characters kind of have this detachment from... From their home lives.
0: So it's kind of this chosen family that they've Right, they're kind of like the lost
3: boys. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so it's kind of interesting to me.
0: I read that you had, um, originally when you were preparing, you had watched some videos of Prince Harry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Was there anything in particular you were looking at him to in order to observe, or were you just kind of...
3: Um, Yeah, you kind of, I didn't really know where to go, really. Yeah. Um, That was kind of my first port of call. Just, I'm not really sure why. It kind of it soon evolved into something different. It kind of, I wasn't really thinking Prince Harry. <laughs> right. Talking. But um, yeah, it was. It, it just kind of, he's just such quite a contrast. There's not. He's he's very different among the group, and he doesn't really fit. in. He's kind of constantly trying to justify himself mm-hmm. because he's just not the most natural, kind of smoothest criminal. Right. Um, he's
0: not who you would expect necessarily. Exactly. Yeah,
3: he has to really yeah. kind of work at it.
0: There's, there's what, watching you act like, it feels like there's a lot in your body language as Charlie, and I'm I'm curious how much you thought about that and how you use that to inform his character.
3: Um, yeah, I suppose, yeah, I mean, the physicality is always kind of where you start at, really. Mm -hmm. It's all about, I used to have this obsession with like working out a walk Mm
2: -hmm. before
3: anything else, because it just kind of, it does help you kind of get in a, it just make you feel kind of you're in a new kind of mindset and it really kind of just adds a bit of a layer for you, just for yourself really. Yeah. Um yeah, so there was there was kind of a lot of that.
0: Was there a specific walk you kind of tried to do for?
3: Yeah, but it's kind of there's a pride with Charlie I think. Yeah. He's kind of still very proud of what his family once was. He's still kind of he has these slippers with which has his kind of family crest on them and he wears them all the time. He's <laughs> you know, like lucky slippers and
0: Yeah, his the costuming too is really great for him.
3: He,
0: yeah. <laughs> did you have any role in that and just how costuming in, informed his character?
3: Um yeah, I think costume plays a kind of big part actually. It doesn't. Yeah. Again, it's just kind of laying you up, laying layering you up and uh I think that a lot of that came from Alex. He he wanted it to be quite stylized, I think.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, much like the original. It was a kind of a big part of it and uh I mean it's not necessarily how young people really dress in reality it's kind of adds, adds to that right. kind of heightened it's quite an ambiguous world that kind of snatch plays in so yeah. It's, yeah it kind of all adds to that
0: And kind of going along with that you know hyper stylized um visual element there's also that kind of stylized s- stylization in the um <laughs> yeah. in the dialogue too and yeah. just and was it difficult to master that? And are you speaking in a slightly different dialect there? Or is it? Yeah. I, I felt like there was something maybe a little bit different, but I wasn't right. quite sh- sure. If,
3: yeah. yeah. Is he, well, Charlie's kind of RP is like quite posh, I think mm-hmm. you'd probably call it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the language, I think, is its very specific yeah. in, in the world of Snatch, I think. And that was something... I know Alex kind of wanted to really translate within the series, although it is kind of he wanted it to be very much kind of a standalone thing from, and not kind of completely in the shadow of the original. It's mm-hmm. kind of very, very much a reinvention, right? Um, but yeah, I think the language is a big part of it, and I'm part of the kind of this kind of gangst London underground kind of gangster world. It was all there's a lot of Cockney rhyming slang, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it's, it's that punchy kind of snappy dialogue that I think. Was, really there anything,
0: was there anything you had to do in particular to prepare to kind of master that way of speaking or did it come naturally to you? Um,
3: yeah, kind of, yeah. I've, it's not too, I mean, it's not too different uh, from my accent, really. But it's, right. It's, he's, he's, he's just a little bit more theatrical, I think. He kind mm-hmm. of, he, and that's part of Charlie, he enjoys the glamour, I think, of that lifestyle of being a bit of a scammer. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, that's it's, it's really just it just kind of It takes you a while to kind of get rhythmically. The rhythm, I think, yeah, is, is important, and a lot of the dialogue is kind of very rhythm is kind of key. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's yeah, it was fun. It's fun, kind of because he just sounds so different as well from everyone else, and kind of that contrast is. It was tricky to kind of tune in with kind of everyone else, but it yeah,
0: right, kind of like figuring out. Yeah. The absolutely. rhythm when you're speaking with other people and when to kind of right. come yeah, in. Right. Yeah, you know? absolutely,
3: yeah, absolutely,
0: yeah. And you're also an executive producer on Snatch. Mm. I'm curious because I know that's a different role on every type of just from project to project it can be a different role. I'm curious what that entails for you on this on this project.
3: Yeah, I mean, I've never done anything like that before. This is kind of a first for me. And it was yeah, it was I think it was more of an exploratory venture yeah. this time around it was I didn't, I didn't really have like a huge kind of role producery kind mm-hmm. of role it was it was merely just to kind of see a different side of of making a tv show and yeah i learned a lot i think it's just it's an interesting perspective is that and, something uh, that
0: you want to do more of i think so yeah, yeah definitely
3: i mean it's it's just just there's a lot to kind of think about It's yeah. a different thing it's quite distracting but um Right, yeah, like would, when
0: you're when you're acting, it's hard to maybe focus yeah. on that.
3: Yeah. You you kinda of wanna con- Yeah, you're kind of very kind of focused on on that right. when you're in it. But um yeah, it was, it's definitely something I'd like to explore in the future, yeah, definitely.
0: Cool. And you know, something we've talked about on this podcast before is actors who who are so defined by one role, but they're they're able to kind of reinvent themselves in their future roles and kind of like, for example, when Jennifer Aniston was on Friends, she w- I remember when she was on The Good Girl and it was like everyone right. was like, wow, that's completely different. And sure, yeah. John Hamm was somewhat able to do that by taking on comedic roles during Mad Men. Yeah. And I'm curious and just kind of it, it usually seems to require something extreme and maybe even physically transformative. And in choosing roles, have you thought about that consciously and how you distanced yourself from Ron Weasley?
3: Sure. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I think it's always going to be a challenge because yeah. I mean, those films were just. Yeah, I mean they they're kind of so widely kind of right. liked and and watched, and new generations are kind of coming into it. So I think it'll always it'll always be there. Um, but yeah, it's it, that's kind of part of the challenge. Really. I mean, it's never really been a conscious. I didn't really go out to like pick kind of shocking, kind of very adult right roles. It just right. I just you kind of driven by. Scripts and creative people around it, um, but yeah, I mean, I suppose yeah, you do, you do, you do want to try and step away from from your comfort zone, which is yeah, something like I do kind of enjoy.
0: Yeah, and it, it does. I mean, in a in a different way, like having played a role like that. When you do play a role that is very different from Ron Weasley, say a hustler type role, where right. maybe the, the audience isn't immediately going to sympathize with you, kind of having this memory of Ron Weasley. I, Kind of makes people maybe be able to sympathize with you more because they remember you as right. someone kind of who they trust and is nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, that's
3: interesting. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it would. I think it will always be with me. Yeah, it will always be. I mean, I, I. It's weird. I have a weird relationship with that character because we. I. Th- I feel like we kind of merged into the same person. <laughs> I find it very hard to separate where I end and kind of Ron begins.
0: Yeah. Especially at such a young age. I imagine when you're just figuring out who you are too, yeah. it probably Yes,
3: yeah, we, we went through quite an kind of important time in your kind of development, I think. Yeah. And yeah. It just naturally, it, we just kind of merged into the same thing and yeah, it's quite, quite strange stepping out of it. And especially I, I saw the play.
0: Oh yeah. The cursed yeah, curse. Child. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, it was very strange it was like
0: because you're watching an older version of yourself yeah it's crazy and it's
3: a character that i feel is like part of me in a way yeah um, and to see it kind of did yeah, you feel was, this
0: kind of possessiveness over that char- just watching it well did it feel strange like, yeah it yeah. felt very strange yeah, yeah it was
3: kind of like almost like an out of body yeah. experience. but yeah it was yeah it was very it was great i mean it was it's incredible kind of seeing it kind of move on and, and seeing seeing someone else kind of their interpretation of it as well it was really interesting it was yeah it was, it was I really enjoyed it
0: had you talked to that actor before he took on the role or
3: no not yeah. at all um, I think it was very much a kind of separate thing mm-hmm. Um but I, I, yeah I, I saw them I, I kind of met him after and had a good chat yeah it was just yeah it's mad <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um yeah and it seems it seems like you and Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson have all made the transition from from child star to kind of adult actor very, very well. And I'm, I'm curious if you've thought about, you know, why uh, that, that can be a kind of fraught transition for a lot of people. And f- yet y- you all seem very well adjusted and have picked roles that are really interesting post Harry Potter. Yeah. Do you, do you, have you thought about why? I don't know. I, yeah. I guess I, I don't know how you answer that question, but like <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a rare thing to see, I guess. Right. Um, yeah.
3: I mean, I don't know, I think, yeah, because it was a very unique, it was an incredible part of my life, in a very, almost, it was, I mean, we lived in this kind of bubble, so it was was very hard to see out of it, Mm -hmm. and I think after, after, immediately finishing the last film, it was kind of a strange time, it was, I didn't really, it was very, an overwhelming feeling, because I mean, it was just such a huge, I mean, it was like 12 years, constant, consistently, and then just kind of ended after one take and it was yeah it was it took a while for me to kind of really adjust and kind of yeah. work out what I was going to do but also it was it was refreshing it was nice to kind of do nothing actually and i did have a kind of a big break and mm-hmm. caught up on some things that except I me mean, it was a big sacrifice i think as much fun as it was it, we, you know naturally you do miss out on a lot yeah growing up um so yeah i just felt like i needed to do a bit of uh, have a bit of me time and it was yeah it was really important
0: and then coming back did you ha- face any challenges in being typecast or have you found that people aren't trying to push you in that type of that type um, of
3: role over and over right yeah yeah no it's it so, I mean, it's been quite quite open really quite, quite free I've, I've had the opportunity to do a lot of kind of different things I'm not always kind of learning whatever I do it's I like kind of stepping out of my comfort zone and doing something a bit different and theatre was really I really wanted to do some theater stuff, and yeah, I found that very educational. I learned a lot from that.
0: Yeah, I, I wanted to ask. You know, was there because you were kind of learning on Harry Potter for you know that was your first major experience right. with acting, correct? Was there anything that you learned on the set of Harry Potter that's really stuck with you in terms of acting? And then, is there anything that you've had to kind of unlearn as you transition to a right. different type of acting?
3: Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it really was an education, but just being on set, you were working with some amazing people. And, um, yeah, you, you really kind of learnt the inner workings as well, behind the camera as well, mm-hmm. was, was really important. It was kind of like a really long film school. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it, it was, yeah, It's very it was very different because playing the same character for so long, you kind of, it's it because, as I said, I said before, it kind of comes part of you It feels feels very natural it's
0: almost I mean, like t v in a way because right. you're with it for so long absolutely yeah. yeah yeah
3: and and also you kind of know where the story's ending, hmm so it was quite it's a very kind of clear arc that you could kind of follow um and yeah that's why that's why i love t v actually well, this is kind of my second t v project yeah. It's, yeah it's it's kind of it feels you don't really get much opportunity usually in film to have, like, a real, like, journey mm-hmm. uh, with a character that kind of through each kind of episode, um, which is, yeah, something I've really enjoyed with, with Snatch.
0: Yeah, and with, I mean, like you said, with Harry Potter, you, you knew how it was going to end, but with something like Snatch, how many scripts do you get ahead of time, and do you know, do you, there's that element of maybe not knowing how your character will change and yeah. who they will become.
3: Definitely, will yeah. End. That was the case with Snatch. They were kind of writing it as we, Went along, so mm-hmm. we. Some, well, yeah, I mean, we really didn't know. We were filming an episode when we didn't really know how the episode ended. So it was. Oh wow. Yeah, it was. It felt very in the moment, and actually, I think that kind of helped with Snatch because it was. A lot of it is kind of is the high stakes kind of drama stuff. It's. Mm-hmm. it's it was quite good not knowing exactly what was going to happen. It f- made it feel very kind of spontaneous. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think that kind of worked. in My with that.
0: The world has also changed a lot since when Harry Potter first. Premiered in what was it, nineteen ninety? I think it came out in two thousand. 2000, okay, two thousand
3: one. Okay. I think, yeah.
0: And you know, there was no social media then. No. And <laughs> did your experience, kind of, with how fans engage with you, change during the course of that? And
3: did you did you notice a difference? I guess. Um, I guess so. Yeah, it kind of happened. Yeah, it kind of just happened. I <laughs> in a weird way. And I, I've always kind of been a little bit off the grid.
0: Yeah, you're not on social media. No,
3: I've never. I feel like I'm the only person in the world. <laughs> is that
0: partly because you want to keep your life a bit separate?
3: I guess so. Yeah, I quite. Yeah, I mean it, that is kind of the key. Yeah, I quite. I don't. I don't really feel comfortable <laughs> in that kind of world. But yeah, I'm, I'm. I kind of value your privacy a lot. I think. Yeah. And yeah, and I think you you take it for granted just being kind of anonymous. I kind of. Miss that sometimes because it's yeah I mean it's, it's, everyone's really great and it's always really, right. really sweet and it it's yeah it's nice but it's it's also yeah sometimes you just want to be invisible which is yeah harder. of
0: course well I saw you on James Corden and you were saying how you get mistaken for Ed Sheeran fifty <laughs> yeah. percent of the time now does that allow you to stay anonymous kind of or is it still the same thing because you're still being disruptive
3: yeah <laughs> it's still yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really. Really change anything? If anything, it kind of makes it even worse. <laughs> <laughs> but you do—I do question people's dedication. The people who recognise me for red shear and I, I question their dedication as a fan here. Right, right. Cause I, I can't really see a huge resemblance apart from the hair. Right. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's fun. It's fun though. It's it's not something I've never really kind of actively hidden from. It's just, it's just, it's just been part of it. I and mean, I think we've, because we've, we've grown up with it, you kind of. Kind of becomes quite normal and you get quite blase about it when people stop right. you in the street. And it's, yeah, it is, it is really weird. But it's, yeah, it's fine. Uh,
0: yeah, it feels like Harry Potter is uniquely just in its themes too. It kind of comes up very often. Like even just after Donald Trump was elected, I felt like there were a lot of Harry Potter comparisons. Right comparisons surfacing again and right. people were kind of going back to it to find comfort or resilient this feeling of yeah. resilience. D- did you engage much with that or notice that happening? Um,
3: yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's, it, it, it does always kind of amaze me how like, the fans are incredible. They, yeah. they really engage with it. I mean, I was a huge, I was a huge fan of the books. That's mm-hmm. how I got into it. It was Just a huge escape for me, and I felt such an affinity with Ron as well. That was the main attraction for me to audition. Um, Yeah,
0: he was always my favorite character (laughs) in the books. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I always, always kind of felt felt very close to him, and uh, yeah, it was yeah, it's amazing.
0: I did want to ask you. I saw I saw on Pottermore that you got a Hufflepuff for your house. Were you surprised by that?
3: (laughs) Yeah, a little bit (laughs) disappointed. It's just not the coolest one, is it?
0: Yeah. Well.
3: yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a really clever like it's, algorithm.
0: It's ama- amazing. It I I was so impressed by the test because I'd taken some just in the past, and this one was so much more kind of poetic in a way. Yeah, where like you really couldn't game the system. And no, and
3: yeah, I think I did it a few times as well. And it was <laughs> it was consistent. Possible, but yeah, yeah. Um, but you want to be like Gryffindor, of or course, Slytherin. Yeah, well, we do. I was Slytherin. Oh, you were. Oh, I was on.
0: very surprised. Um, but then I kind of embraced it because, you know, yeah. why not? <laughs> um, but yeah, um, just in terms of looking ahead to, you know, your career, you had mentioned you really like doing television right now. Is, is there a certain form that you gravitate to more? Because I know you've talked about how you really enjoy doing theater as well. and yeah. Kind of where you see, you know, yourself focusing kind of right. in the future, in the near future.
3: Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's hard to really kind of, to think, I, I, I mean, it, you just kind of go by kind of script. Right. And I mean, co- and comedy is something that I'm kind of.
0: Yeah. You seem to have it. kind of a knack for it in. Yeah. In it's a lot of your roles. You bring this comedic energy right. to it.
3: Yeah. yeah I, I don't know. It, I, I always kind of enjoy the kind of the shows kind like I enjoy watching. Um, I just, I did another TV series a couple of years, last year, yeah, mm-hmm. called Sick Note. Oh it's yeah, I saw dark. that. The
0: Sky Atlantic show. Yeah. yeah,
3: it's like a dark comedy about somebody who pretends to have cancer <laughs> <laughs> for kind it's of justified dark. reasons. But yeah, yeah, it's it's more about kind of lies. But yeah, it's yeah. quite dark. But yeah, it was yeah, it's it's fun.
0: What what is next for you? Just kind of in what's coming up.
3: Um, yeah, well, Snatch oh. comes out. uh, thursday yes yeah
0: thursday march 16th that's right yeah
3: and uh yeah i think just uh, a bit of a break yeah yeah there's a few things bubbling but um
0: (laughs) (laughs) any details you can give us
3: i don't think i can yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah yeah i'm just just kind of kind of a bit of a break and yeah
0: (laughs) any vacations planned
3: not right now no um, i haven't been on holiday for so long Yeah. So, yeah, I I definitely want want some vacation time.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining, Rupert. Pleasure, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Of course. That's just about it for this week's show. But before we go, it's time for this week's Aria. This week, it's Matt's turn.
2: I am 48 years old. Rupert Grint is 28 years old. I watched Rupert Grint grow up. So did hundreds of millions of other people who saw him play Ron Weasley in the Harry Potter films during a 10-year stint that began in 2001.
1: Excuse me, do you mind? Everywhere else is full. Not at all. I'm Ron, by the way. Ron Weasley. I'm Harry, Harry Potter.
2: Here's how Rupert Grint sounded in the last Harry Potter film after he'd gotten older and taller and become a young adult.
3: Six months, she hasn't seen me, and it's like I'm Frankie first year. I'm only a brother.
2: Shut a of those up. There's only one, Harry. Shut up, shut up, And now, here's a clip of Rupert Grint as he sounds today. He is, as the kids say, a grown-ass man.
3: I just made us two grand. When are you going to give me a pat on the back? When you start adding some risk-averse value to this operation. Risk-averse value. I think you might want to reconsider our chosen line of work, Al.
2: Popular culture is a great way to escape reality, but it is also immutably tied to reality and reflecting it back at us. And the most basic element of reality is you're born, you age, you die. Remember this great scene from Casablanca?
3: You're saying this only to make me go. Off.
2: I'm saying it because it's true. Inside of us, we both know
1: you belong with Victor. You're part of his work, the thing that keeps him going. If that plane leaves the ground and you're not with him, you'll regret it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your
2: life. But what about us? We'll always have parents. Everyone in that scene is dead. In fact, almost every single person who is associated in any way with Casablanca has gone to that great Paris in the sky. Now, you're probably thinking, what the hell, Matt? I listen to your podcast for opinions and information about television, not to be bummed out. And, dude, you are bumming me out. That's how I imagine you speaking, by the way. In my mind, you're all Jeff Lebowski.
0: I'm the dude.
2: I'm not trying to bring anybody down, I promise. In fact, I think it's amazing that we have this window, this magic window called a screen that lets us watch time pass. It's almost like time lapse. When a cable station runs a bunch of Harry Potter movies back to back, you get to see all of these kids grow up before your eyes. Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Rupert Grint, and a whole lot of them. There's also the sadness that comes with seeing actors like Richard Harris and Alan Rickman on screen who have since died. But does it have to be sadness that we feel? Not necessarily. Our television is not just a reminder of mortality, it is also an escape from it. It preserves the actors we love at various stages in their lives. Someday I'll be gone someday Rupert Grint and Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson will be gone too. And perhaps one of my own children will write a bittersweet remembrance of them on whatever social media has become 50 or 60 years in the future, probably a jack in the back of our necks like in The Matrix, but that's neither here nor there. But look, here's Alan Rickman, alive and well, on my phone, and he's speaking to me.
3: I can teach you how to bewitch the mind and ensnare the senses. I can tell you how to bottle fame, brew glory, and even put a stopper in death.
0: That's it for this week's show. The Vulture TV podcast is produced by Jordan Bell. Laura Mayer is our director of production, and Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. The Vulture TV podcast is part of the Panoply Network. I'm Gazelle Amami, and you can find me on Twitter at
1: Gazellephant. And I'm Jen Chaney, and you can find me on Twitter at Cheney J. Thanks for listening.